This song was written by one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Janet Paschal, and she wrote it um, about a, a grandfather that she loved and adored who had gone on to be with the Lord, and she was thinking about him and wondering how things are at home. So um, that's what this song is about. How are things at home? Summer's almost over How time slips away Seasons aren't the same since you've been gone And I know you're up in heaven But I miss you anyway Guess I'm doing fine I've learned to take it day by day but I can't help but wonder Ever since you went away How are things at home? Is it all your heart dreamed it would be? And more than simple faith let you believe is it bright and fair and does the sound of children fill the air and no one there is hurting Is it bright and fair? 
On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord, Jesus replied. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it, drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives a couple weeks in august we spent talking about the lord's return number one and longing for home heaven and hell the two eternal destinies that are options that are offered and described in the scripture and this is jesus saying that he is not going to be present until the end comes But in the meantime, we are given what are called ordinances, these things, to remind us. So we are encouraged to check our roots. Is your relationship with God based on what Jesus did for you? If not, then take this time, the quiet time, to give it over to him. Turn yourself in, you might say. And if you already know that, then take this time to invite the Holy Spirit to seek out what may be interfering in your life, what does not really reflect who you are as a new person. Father, we commit this time to you, an act of worship and a reminder of how we get to know you 
personally. We ask that you will bless it to us. We want to be sincere and real in our relationship with you. We know that heaven is a promise, but we know that earth is here and now, and we want to live it the way Jesus enables us to live it, preparing for where we will end with him in that heavenly place. Amen. I'm going to uh, talk about, I want to talk about uh, money today. You know, there is a, churches have a reputation of talking a lot about money. I don't believe we do that very much here. In fact, I'm pretty sure that most non-church people are probably surprised at how little churches talk about money. That's my read on it anyway, my experience. I think it's mostly church people that don't like a lot of talk about money. Um, Non-Christians, I think, kind of expect it because everywhere else you go in life, people talk about money. Even uh, even those that claim to be um, non-profit uh, in fact, I think frequently nonprofits talk more about money than businesses do. I don't know if you are a listener to uh, OPB or National uh, NPR, National Public Radio, or National Public TV. If you are, you may have noticed that there are whole weeks of the year where they talk about nothing but money. And uh, yet they sort of pride themselves in being nonprofit and for the purpose of the people. Not only do they get tax money to do their programming, but they talk about money nonstop for weeks at a time. Give me a good old commercial station any day over weeks and weeks of uh, begging, pleading, and manipulation and guilt tripping. Um, and I do think that that happens in churches. Church that I came to Christ in, Marjorie and I were newly married, living in Denver, Colorado. And um, it was a big church. And I know one of the things I noticed was the pastor and associate pastors all drove um, fancy cars. Maybe not a Rolls Royce, but everything, anything just below the Rolls Royce level. And every worship service, um, there was a spiel, you might say, about money and about giving. Um, but uh, you, I was happy to find out later after we moved from Denver that that a uh, particular pastor actually went per, to prison, a uh, great place for him, uh, because it was clear that he was off in his value system. But in the many churches that we have been to over the years, I rarely hear, have really heard anything about money. And I know for myself, I'm not very comfortable with the subject. And I think a lot of pastors are not because they know that they're on the receiving end of some of it. And so it makes it a little difficult. In fact, the better the pastor, the more likely they are going to be uncomfortable talking about money. The crookeder the pastor, the more likely they are to want to talk about money a lot. It's, not, it's actually a pretty accurate gauge, I would, I would suggest. But for this week and next week, depending on how far we get in the subject, um, I want to talk about uh, finances. Uh, and we're going to start with money and personal life. Um, once in a while you may hear the expression or the thought that um, there isn't a lot of discussion from Jesus about money uh, because they lived in a barter system economy, which is just plain not true. It, Jesus actually did talk quite a bit about money. He has some very classic references, holding up a coin, whose face is on this coin, and uh, many other references and teachings about money, not only using it as, uh, to teach about it, but also uh, using it as an illustration for other things. 
And I just want to say about that subject that um, this bothers me sometimes when I hear people say, well, you know, in that real antique world, they had everything way different. So none of these subjects that we live with today really are applied because they live so different. Their values are so different. Their culture was so different. Where do you get that from? The people, humans are, the, from Adam and Eve onward, are pretty much the same. Cultures are pretty much the same. They may use different techniques. They may rely more, say, on barter than coins. But coins or money, economies based on money, are as old as the human race. Uh, there's just no evidence anywhere in ancient history that uh, any societies past the size of, say, 12 people were able to survive without trying to figure out some way to, to uh, evaluate things or give value to things on, uh, in a, uh, a mediated way. If you're a Native American and somebody catches a whale and says, here's your part, now pick it up and carry it, I hope you're strong because them whales are big. So they give you a clam instead or a clam shell. And that's just as old as human race because I don't believe we're that much smarter than the people of the ancient days. There are some barter efforts and barter attempts. Uh, my, uh, my kids, some of my kids have been actively involved in what's called a barter fair in Washington State, Okanagan Valley, Omac and Tenasket area. Every year about this time they do have a barter fair and it does bring a thousands and thousands of people uh, but no economies can actually work on a barter system, not unless you've got less than 10 people. So money is a factor of life, then, now, everywhere. And there's nothing wrong with money. The problem with money is just like the problem of power. And before we get into this passage, let me just use an illustration. Inescapable these days in the media. I'm sure you have heard politicians giving speeches that say, I want this office and I want this power because I care about you, I have compassion for you, and I believe that I can benefit you if you will just give me this power. But we all know that power is, has its own power, doesn't it? I mean, whatever they say, and many of them I'm sure are sincere, that if you just give me the power to regulate life, your life, I, because I have your interests at heart, will create an environment with that power that you will be so thankful for in the end. And everybody will be blessed and taken care of if you will give me the power. But the fact is, power becomes an end in itself, does it not? And you can say the same thing about money. Many people who have dedicated their lives to accumulating money, big, big truckloads of money, have said... And will constantly say, I'm doing this because I want to benefit my family and my community and my church. And so if I need buckets and buckets of money, train loads of money in order to do that, you know that money, even as an intermediate step, has its own power. And that is the problem with money and power, that it takes on a life of its own. And that's why it's addressed in the scripture the way it is. Possessions, money, power. It's all the same thing in the end. Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, that'd be Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me? Judge, 
Who knew that Jesus was a hippie? Man, I like that expression because that's a, that's a good, uh, uh, you know, it just reminds me that Jesus was cool even then. Man, who appointed you to judge or an arb- as a judge and an- who appointed me as a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now that's just one of the parables that uh, Jesus, this one is specifically about money. Occasionally Jesus told some parables using money to refer to other principles. But that's really what he's talking about here too. He's not really talking about investment strategies and he's not talking about how much you should own, how much retirement money you should have or how much of a house value you should have. But he is suggesting that it's a value system. And you can tell by the way people live and talk, their attitude about money, whether it's their God or not. And the real God will someday say, this is it. Now you're going to take it with you? Maybe you heard about the guy who, after reading in uh, the book of Revelations, that the streets of heaven are going to be paved for gold, with gold. And one night he got a word from God that... uh, he was going to die the next day. And he couldn't take anything with him. And he said, can't, can I, I've lived my whole life accumulating all this stuff. Can't I bring it with me? And so God said to him, all right, one suitcase. That's it. You can take one suitcase with you, but tomorrow you're going. So he sold everything he had and invested in gold. Gold bars filled his suitcase up. And when he got to the gate the next day, the gatekeeper said, you can't bring that in. He said, yeah, I got special dispensation from God. I can bring this in. And the gatekeeper said, okay, you got to open it though. Let me see it. So he opened it up and the gatekeeper looked at him and said, you brought a suitcase full of pavement to heaven? That's what it is because that's why the Bible describes it that way. Gold? What do you want to take it with you for anyway? Heaven is going to be in such a, uh, such a state that you're not going to need any of those things. And we always hear about people trying to take it with them. I cut out a story a while back from a newspaper. A guy was so in love with his Corvette car that he wanted to be buried in it. Because he really thought if there's a chance of taking it with me, he wanted to have his Corvette with him. Now, I don't know, with modern day Chevrolet... Um, shenanigans I'm not sure anybody wants a Corvette in heaven anymore but they might want their Cadillac their Rolls Royce or their Mercedes or their uh, antique pickup truck or whatever it might be with them 
the way some people live, that doesn't sound so stupid, does it? They live investing in all of their work, their business, their, their uh, house or houses. And this is Jesus telling them, whatever you've got is a tool. Use it as such. Use it as a tool for the more important things in life. So I'm going to look at a little background here. We are going to look at a little background here. We're going to go backwards in the Bible and look at some Old Testament references to money just because there are things that we can learn from the practical or the wisdom literature portions particularly about money. And that's what Proverbs are, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. There's no sense talking about money and um, heaven if you don't know and its values, comparative values, on the spiritual plane, if you don't even know how to get it and keep it in this world. That is a useful tool. Money can be a useful tool. So here's some advice from the advice portions of the Bible. Number one, Proverbs 17, verse 5, Beware the arrogance of wealth. He who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. In Proverbs 22, verse 2, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. I think that's a can't-take-it-with-you expression, why this might be of value to think about. This is an expression in, uh, from Solomon who suggests that on the day you die, you are equal to everybody else. Now, don't think that because we live in a capitalist society, which we are, that this is any different from anywhere else. Every society has the same difficulties or struggles or unfairness categorizations, unfair categorizations over possessions. So, because we all live in a material world, it's not escapable. You can't really just declare our society non-material. It will be material, regardless of whatever form, of whatever form of government you have. If you don't believe that, ask somebody who lives in Chinese uh, communist country, or uh, when it was less capitalist than it is today. Ask somebody who lived in the Soviet Union for that 70 years, who got all the classy cars and the mansions, the Dachau's, and uh, all these kind of things. Uh, who got them? Political leaders got them. It's still about money. Native Americans have a custom of potlatch, giving away what they want. But anybody who knows anything about that history knows that potlatch itself is like a stock market investment strategy. Uh, if you use the system right, you can accumulate a great deal of wealth because it's human nature. But in the end, we're all the same. You're going to be equal to the poorest person in the world, no matter how much you have now, someday. Keep that in mind. It's a perspective question. And then the next bit of wisdom from Proverbs, the wisdom literature. God cares about how we get our money. Proverbs 11, verse 1, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. And Proverbs 16, verse 11, Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. Maybe you remember a movie, a black and white movie called It's a Beautiful Life. I don't know. Some people see it, watch it every year at Christmas time. 
Some people watch stupider ones at Christmas time every year. But uh, if I were to watch one every year at Christmas time, It's a Beautiful Life would probably be my choice. But there's an interesting um, storyline in there, a morality play, that the, um, the guy in the wheelchair, the evil banker, who actually looked like Satan or somebody like that, somehow they managed to make that uh, stand out. It wasn't too subtle. But the way he got his money was the same way that the good guy was getting his money in the banking business. The difference was that when the going got tough or when people started having a bad time, the bad guy took advantage of it and he was essentially crooked and the good guy went broke. Now that happens, so it matters. Some people do accumulate a great deal of wealth, but not always in the right way. You're familiar possibly with some of the TV, radio ministries that uh, once in a while get in trouble. I remember an interview with a guy named Bob Larson from years ago, and somebody was saying I'd been, we had been once or twice to see what it was all about to one of his events. He spent a lot of time talking about money, and it was manipulation and guilt tripping, uh, primarily. And I say in the ministry realm, that's the same as cheating in business, because you can get money out of people. I mean, there are stupid people out there that will part with their money if you play them correctly. All you need to do is the right style, and you will accumulate wealth. And especially if you attach getting wealth as one of the promises for them giving you their wealth. Kind of an interesting little scam going there. Well, Bob Larson, in his interview, somebody said to him, why do you use these manipulation, guilt trips, and fake promises to people to get money? If it's really from God, wouldn't he just provide for you without all this crookedness? I thought it was a good question. And his answer was, if the people of God would step up and do their jobs, I wouldn't have to do this. Well, there you go. I get to be crooked. I get to manipulate guilt trip and be dishonest, exaggerate reports, and all kind of things because you aren't doing your job and opening your wallet. If you would do that, then I could be an honest man. How cool is that? So it's your fault. Hand me your... That's called blackmail. Hand me your cash, or I will accuse you of being an ungodly person for not handing over your cash to me. Same sort of thing you get with, I mentioned, NPR and public radio and public television. Well, if you people would send in a check, then we wouldn't have to do this day after day ad nauseum to manipulate more money out of you because you are not sending in your checks. Crooked. And that's what businesses can be like. Crooked. And this is why in the wisdom literature it says... How you get your money is every bit as important as whether you get it. And one more point here, and then we're going to save the rest for next week because of timing. And that is quick and easy money is a curse in the end. Proverbs 20, verse 17. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet to a man, but he ends up with a mouthful of gravel. Proverbs 20, 21. 
An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Now, I know a lot of people um, in these days, you don't hear a lot of preaching against gambling. Maybe there should be more. Maybe we'll bring it back. Because gambling is really just trying to get something for nothing. I remember years ago, former church community, left church one day to stop by and pick up a newspaper in the, in the 7-Eleven store. wasn't one on that island where I lived. Uh, but anyway, it was a, one of those kind of stores. And lady next to me bought a lotto ticket. And she won $6 million off of that ticket standing right next to me. And I told her that because I was standing there, she owed me 10% just from standing there. I meant it as a joke. That woman went through $6 million in less than three years. Three years is all it took. She actually came to me one time and said, um, I, we'd like to start coming to this church and we will build your church a new building. If you will not say anything to me about the man I'm living with without benefit of marriage. Great. What a scam. If I would just not say anything about her personal life, the sin questions that are all over the Bible would be one of them, then she'd give a bucket of money to the church. Now, where have I heard that before? What a scam. But the fact is, a lot of people really do hope to win a lot of money. And I think it is moral corruption on the part of civil government to participate in that. I see these ads on television about, oh, how much money, what, what a joyous life you could have if you would invest in our gambling scheme, your government's gambling scheme. You trust us, right? We're the government. You trust us. We're all about you, love, compassion, education, everything. So gamble, gamble, gamble. Win money. Invest with no work. Invest to get rich. What moral corruption that the people that are supposed to be helping society are playing on the disease that the scripture talks about. This desire to get rich off of nothing. This desire to have it easy without work or without thought. Just get it. Quick and easy money is a curse in the end. I know people who the only investment strategy or planning strategy in life is wait till mom and dad die. Then I get the inheritance. Quick and easy money. Wait for the die. And hurry up too, by the way. Mom, dad, why don't you come over for dinner? I'm not going to tell you what I'm putting in the spaghetti, but when's, uh, when's your inheritance, my inheritance coming due? Quick and easy money. It's a scam. It's a... Uh, Temptation, it's morally corrupt, and it is sin to think that way. So how about you? Where does money fit in your value system? We'll pick this up next week and add to this points we didn't get to. Father, we are grateful for information from you about the value that will make us successful, prosperous by your definition. We ask you to teach us and remind us that if we will look to you, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. All these things will be added to us. And we understand Lord. That seeking you. Is not magic. It's obedience. Love for you. And for those around us. Show us how to do that in Jesus name.